Welcome to the Boil Dow Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Roof, and my pal here's Ruff. We're the Rebellion Dogs. Hi, Sam. Hi, Don. <laughs> How the <laughs> are you? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good, though. It has been a little rough. This dog will not fetch. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> What's been shaking with you, pal? Oh, God. Well, I just had surgery again. God, you've got to quit. I, I think maybe you're becoming a little obsessed with surgery, I, Sam. I, I've I, heard of people doing that, but it's usually yeah, cosmetic. I break easily. Let's. What can I say? Yeah. Uh, I, this one, thankfully, was a minor thing. Uh, it was a quick little outpatient surgery. But, uh, but still, nonetheless, one of those things of going through... The fear of like going under anesthesia and uh, and then surgery. I'm yeah. Is, there's no way around it. It's scary. Yeah, it is. But uh, but you know, I mean, it, I remember. First of all, everything is is hazy. <laughs> Um, but I still do remember being wheeled down uh, the hallway after they started administering the uh, the first part of the uh, anesthesia, um, and you know, and and I was prayerful. Imagine that. Uh, uh, so that it was kind of cool. Yeah. So in those uh, situations, it does, and uh, and everything went fine, and uh, and then um, uh, went home with some pain meds. Uh, Greg picked up pain meds for me from the, the pharmacy. Uh, high, no oxycodone. I don't, oh no! Outside issue. Warning! Warning! Danger! Will Robinson. Danger! Danger! danger yeah. Um, but yeah. So yeah, I, I, people cut you open. You probably are going to need pain meds. Yeah, you're going to have to. I mean, and you so, got to deal with it. Yeah, you do. And so I, um, I, you know, we have found a method that works for me, and that is that uh, I keep them on the counter with a notepad, and I write down the date and time uh, of each time that I take them, and that's what works. Uh, and that's I took them good, Sam, because you know I heard a speaker, and he was a golfer, and he said he loved to play golf by himself and cheat. <laughs> <laughs> So I mean, you could very easily be cheating. Oh, yeah, I, I, I could. I mean, it really is a, um, it's an an integrity thing. It's yeah. an honesty thing with me being honest with myself, but open about it with Greg and anyone else who would happen to to come over. Right, and you know that's this is true through everything with recovery. I mean, the it comes down to I've got to be honest with myself. Yeah, and and, I, and that's where it's it's be. another thing too that I mean taking uh, 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 pain meds that was never part of my addiction. I, I never ate pills like that. Um, I ate some diet pills, but nobody told me I could take those by the handful. Damn it! Um, but <laughs> um, but uh, pain pills were never just they were never my thing. So I don't have a predilection to them from my history. But it scares me. So well, in fact, that's that's the question. For the old timer today. No, I changed that up on you because, you know, I didn't want you to know what was coming up. Oh, okay. <laughs> I never know what's happening. Yeah, I'm in control here. Do we have a guest? We do have a guest. I don't know. I think there is a guest. Okay. <laughs> oh, th- out there. Hi. 
Introduce yourself. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you um, didn't know what you were getting into. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I'll give a straightforward introduction. I'm an alcoholic, and my name is Tommy. Hey, Tommy. Tommy. Glad but, you're here. But uh, what I was really thinking about was how to do my Foster Brooks impression. Uh, but I don't think I'll do that. Uh, not on this part. <laughs> okay. It would oh, fit. That... It might fit in very well with after you guys talk. <laughs> Any impression you want to do, just sneak it right in there. I it mean, can always be part of the outtakes. We're going to go with it. <laughs> I mean, I've always said this when I got sober. My favorite holiday is Halloween because, I mean, get drunk and pretend like you're somebody else. I mean, I want to do impressions of other people. I don't want to be myself. Well, and Halloween is the high, uh, high gay holy days. I mean, the gays love it because we get to dress up and everybody else dresses up and everybody's in masks. And Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's fun to dress up and be somebody else. So, But well, here you, we want you well, to be well, yourself, well, Tommy. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is you talk about uh, one of the great problems was identity and when I finally got to Alcoholics Anonymous, it was a great relief because I had an identity. I was an alcoholic. And, and it was uh, for somebody who has a lot of issues with identity disorder problems and narcissistic personality and histrionic and, and well, uh, stuff like that, borderline-ish kind of characteristics, uh-huh. to have an identity and be, be able to say, I'm an alcoholic, is is really great. Although I think I mentioned uh, before we started this uh, that I don't believe I'm an alcoholic. What I have is evidence based alcoholism, based, <laughs> based based on maybe uh, two week long blackouts and lying on the floor of the bars and so stuff like that. Sounds you know? like you might have lots of evidence. Yeah, I do have. <laughs> but lots is it of evidence or just anecdotes? <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, the thing is that I I've finally been able to believe what other people have said and that they may have been less uh, impaired than I was and could remember things better. I I got some of those. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's the case. I know that I read the Bill Wilson the founder of AA, uh, his wife, Lois, said that he was contradicting some story that she had about what he did. And so he wanted to write something. She said she wanted to write it because she was the one who can remember what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know more about that. You're, yeah. you're going to make me do some research yeah. now. No, it's real. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, she smacked him down on that. Well, you know, the way I dealt with stories that people told me was uh, to just ignore it and pretend they were lying. Okay. And that was all it took, you know. I, so what was your drinking like? Because I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> we and, just and, went through that, you know, Don. we got to ask yeah. friends. It's, you know, I, I heard... Uh, <laughs> We need, it, we need yeah. some character witnesses. Okay. Okay. Character <laughs> assassins. Let, let, me just, let me just put it this way. that uh, I used to play doctor. And, and I say that so that you know that I had easy access to those other things. Except you actually are a doctor. Oh, well, that's true. But, but okay. I've been retired so long, I, I, I prefer the idea I used to play doctor. <laughs> okay. um, and I, and I, I was very successful and treated a what, lot of people. And I what think, kind of doctor? A psychiatrist, and then when I got sober, an addictionist. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and I, you know, they gave me all those letters after my name and stuff like that. But that's so that's you had really... access to drugs. Oh yes, 
And, uh, well, maybe I should tell you a little story about my access to drugs because, you know, being a doctor, you know more than anything. And so I was drinking, and, and uh, I would find myself coming in at about 12.30, which I thought was early. <laughs> and, and then at 4 o'clock in the morning, I'd wake up ready to scratch the tiles off the ceiling, and I'd go walk out in the other room and get four ounces of Jack Daniels because my thinking said, well, you have to get some sleep so you can go see patients. It made good sense. And then I got to thinking that this could be misinterpreted as a morning drink, four o'clock in the morning. And that would mean that I was an alcoholic, and I sure as the hell wasn't an alcoholic. Of course, nobody is, knows you're doing this. It's four o'clock in the morning. Right. I mean, you know, who's interpreting it? Well, I'm well, not you... sure I understood that part either. Yeah. But anyway, you see, my brilliance said, I'm a doctor, so I can prescribe a sleeping pill when I'm drunk. Now, of course, that's against all the all, everything, but but it seemed like a good idea at the time, and I just got a hundred sleeping pills and started taking one of them, and and that seemed to work very well. Except after about three weeks, I noticed that they were diminished considerably in their quantity, and I thought, well, somebody's obviously just coming in during the day and stealing these. And that was all I needed to explain it. There was another characteristic, though, and that was that uh, it was a little hard to wake up in the mornings. And so I would take a cup, an empty cup, and put two scoops of instant coffee in and put strong coffee in. And by 10 o'clock in the morning, I had five of those in me and 15 cups of coffee, and I was just about right. Except that at about four o'clock in the, the afternoon, motor running. <laughs> I, you, you were totally playing chemist with four, the ups and downs. Four, 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 <laughs> you knew too much about chemistry. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and, and yeah, now one of the things is I knew that I couldn't take amphetamines in the morning because that would mean I was an addict. And again, I sure as hell wasn't an addict. So <laughs> not an addict, not an alcoholic. Yeah. Right. So I got, the problem was that I'd get shaky in the afternoons, and so I dictated a letter to the manufacturer of the sleeping pills talking about pharmacokinetics and telling them, you know, that I was getting What's shaky. What's that mean? Pharmacokinetics is the, the way the drug functions in your system on a time scale. Oh, for crying sort of. out loud. Okay. You're, you were throwing jargon at him. You were like, well, you're thought, writing a letter about the way that it was manufactured? Yes, about the the, the way the drug was being metabolized in my system, <laughs> and I want them to change it. <laughs> now, my office manager put the letter on my desk and made the suggestion, you really don't want to send that, do you? And I said, oh, no, and I threw it away. Uh, had I sent the letter, I probably would have another four or five years of sobriety because <laughs> they would have the state board would have jumped on me and wow. suggested that this is not good medicine. Yeah. Okay. So, so is your is your office manager kind of covering for you then? Your well, behavior because it sounds like I, you're quite yes, erratic. Yes. And quite honestly, when she she refers to those days as the early days. Well, I can tell the rest of the story, too, about uh, the blackouts that occurred during this same time, was that uh, people would come in the office and complain to her that they had to step over me to get out of the bar. And, of course, I just said, oh, that's nonsense. I don't know why they'd make those stories up. 
Then about two years so ago. So you had clients that were drinking at the same bar that you yeah, drank at? Sure. I mean, I guess. <laughs> it's all hearsay. <clears throat> well, I can tell you about, uh, but, but the, the, uh, about two years ago, somebody, some guy comes up at a meeting and he says to the people I'm talking to, I used to drink with Tommy at the Copper Landing in High Point, and she would fall down on the floor in front of the front door, and the owner of the bar and two others would come over and pick her up and put her on the bench. Well, I'm I'm thinking, why is somebody telling these stories? But but I recognized that that was actually what was happening, and and I have a vague memory of lying on a bench once, and I also uh, I do remember lying on the floor once. But sounds like there was a lot of lying going on. Well, there was, and <laughs> yeah. and, and denying. Yeah, but, lying but, and denying. Wait a minute. When did you get sober? Eighty-seven, How? November second, eighty-seven. Ooh, okay. But if I, if somebody said, "How much do you drink?" back in those days, I said, "Well, I go to the bar and I have three or four beers, and then I go home." Now the reality is that I usually had about four really sweet kind of drinks or something like a. Uh, jelly bean, you know, ouzo and, and blackberry brandy. <laughs> and I had about four of those before I ever went to the bar. And then what I think probably happened was after about three or four beers, I was going into a blackout. And that's when all the other stuff was happening. But the, the, the sad part is I don't remember it, you know. And the frightening part is that obviously I got up off the bench. And got went out functioning in a blackout. Oh, yeah. Well, and actually... You know, well, my favorite story in the big book is Grounded, the story about the guy who flew his 747 yeah. in a blackout. He took the plane off and landed it. Now, I've heard him speak, and and what was interesting about that's not in the book, in the story, is that the three of them, the pilot, co-pilot, and navigator, were apparently all drunk, and they were going to sneak off the airplane, and they opened the cockpit door to leave and our air marshals turned them around and handcuffed every one of them. Oh, wow. Them off. But that's not in the book. But that, <laughs> oh, wow. But the point is this. You're getting that, the annotated version. Yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah. The great. point is that that we can function actually quite well in blackouts. And well, With all of this going on and with all the denial that you're describing which it sounds like you were a professional at <laughs> denying and even not believing with the blackouts. What happened at the end of your drinking that caused you to go, I, oh, I've got, I am an alcoholic. I do need help. What happened in sometime in about 1985 is a friend of mine who had about two years sobriety then invited me to an AA meeting. And I don't know what his motivation for was, but he he suggested it would help to treat my patients. And so I started going. And, you know, we talk about higher powers interacting in our lives, and obviously this is some kind of a higher power interacting in my life because I started to go to AA meetings. And, and on one hand, I I would tell people I could have been an alcoholic, then they'd say, why is that? And then they'd 12-step me. But I started going, and I immediately, my denial was so great, I, I could hear somebody say they're an alcoholic, and I said, oh, that's nonsense. I drink like that, and I'm not an alcoholic. So why are you lying about this? And I would... I well, would you discount them. Oh, yeah, I had a whole... I was sitting in a meeting, and I thought oh, everybody in the meeting was just lying about it. 
That, oh, wow. And, and now, denial, my denial system was profound because I survived a childhood based on denying what was going on. So, and, and that's, that was, <laughs> it, it made it very difficult for me to see anything about myself. But I started going to these meetings, and then after a few times of saying I could have been an alcoholic, I was at a meeting in Philadelphia and a big professional meeting because I was getting interested in alcoholism. And I got 12-step twice in the same day. And what they said was, if it's yellow and it walks like a duck and it quacks, it might be a duck. So I accepted the fact that I may be a duck. Then It's amazing what can cut through sometimes. Oh, it is, yeah. And it was also about this time somebody said, you know, this program works better if you don't drink and take those pills. <laughs> <laughs> Which, after two and a half years of attending AA meetings, it was quite surprising to find that out, you know. But, <laughs> but, but one of the things... The, 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 it's hard to quit drinking. When you're, you're drinking. drinking. <laughs> yeah, I think it, you're right. Oh, wait. Uh, we had a friend Saturday after the men's meeting said, uh, I haven't had a drink since I got sober. Well, that's... I thought that was a very profound statement. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think one of the thinking thing, well, the thinking process that was going through my head was, and again, this, these are all gifts that are just given to me, but one, I recognized if I kept drinking, I was going to die pretty soon because I'd in the last couple of years before I got sober, I'd tried suicide two or three times and, and I couldn't even do that well, you know, I mean, but, but, and the other thing that was really fascinating was if I didn't drink and I went to AA meetings, I couldn't see anything bad happening. Now, I, honest to God, I stopped drinking. In your life. Right. I mean, I just couldn't see anything bad happening by, as a result of by going doing to AA. Right. Yeah, okay. right. And yeah, the bad stuff tends to happen when we're all fucked up. I think that's <laughs> probably true, um, but I can't attest to that because I can't really remember. It. I mean, my <laughs> life—I I, I do know. I mean, there were so ma- so many things that I've done in my life which are tragic because I was so explosive my personality that you know friends, people don't like to be around people who explode mm-hmm. on them. But I had this idea that it wouldn't hurt to be. And so I acted as if what they were saying in the meetings was true. I acted as if there were a higher power. And that's all that mattered. And after about a year or so, I actually started praying in the morning. And and, and the praying came as a result of being wide awake, you know, with a resentment about something. I have no idea what it was. And finally getting on my knees and asking God to relieve that. and Acting as if works. Yeah, I got back in bed and I went to sleep. And it's, a, it's an opening. It's an opening. Uh, it's a little crack in the wall. I'm going to act as if even though I don't believe. Absolutely. And I, it's, it's a huge crack, I think, because what it means is I'm changing my attitude. So I want to know, though, what's... For somebody listening that might have trouble accepting, you know, or asking the question, am I an alcoholic, what happened at the end that that you could see that caused you to be able to say, no, ah, they're talking about me. Yeah. It sounds like you went to meetings like two years. 
Well, oh, two and a half years, yeah. But I think what it really, I, I mean, the the way I had to do it was this acting as if. That's that's what happened when I stopped drinking and taking the pills. You, I'm sorry, you're acting as if you're an alcoholic. Yes, I. In other words, I wasn't. It, it wasn't. I didn't believe I was didn't an alcoholic. I don't believe what you're saying here that I'm an alcoholic, but I'm going to act as if I'm an alcoholic. That is exactly right. No kidding. Interesting. And I said, and I would say in meetings, I'm an alcoholic, you know, because that's what everybody's saying. And I was going along with everything. But, I mean, I, I would say I was two or three years sober before I thought, well, maybe I'm an alcoholic. But everything <laughs> was getting so much better uh-huh. That I, I said, mm, you know, this works a lot better than the way I did it before, and so wow. Um, and of course, I don't. There's, there's probably that's the beautiful thing about acting as if, oh. because the same thing's true with me with prayer and with a higher power by acting as if that there's a higher power and I'm going to do the prayer and I'm going to go ahead with this because that's what they talk about in all the meetings. Then I start to notice that it starts to work and my life is improving. And so then I don't have to act as if I start to believe. That sounds like exactly that's what happened to me with higher power and sounds like that's what happened to you just with being an alcoholic. Yeah, and I went, you know, my sponsor said go to four meetings a week and blah, 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 blah. And I went and and, and then I got... You were willing to get a sponsor at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, I did because I was told to. After two and a half years, you kind of pick up on some of the things that work. So, so, so it was it was the two and a half year. It was before your last drink. I mean, excuse me. It was after your last drink yeah. that you got a sponsor, right? Okay. Oh God, no, I wasn't. You know, you were in there for research the first two and a half years. Uh, well, it might be useful to my clients. Uh, something like that, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, I was trying to stop drinking. I mean, I. But I didn't want to let you know that. Gotcha. Okay. No. Okay. okay. Because then I'd have tangled web. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! It, it's a tangled web, you know. But, but what I would say is this: the rest. You said something about tell your story or something. But I don't know what you said. Actually, I wasn't listening. But, but um, <laughs> you were in a black. No, you couldn't have. Been <laughs> no, I wasn't in a black out then. But that's but your that most was, common excuse. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what well, works for me, but. You know, it's. I think that the result of hanging around the program and not drinking and drugging is that it's been improving all the time. And and I would say that about 15 years into sobriety, then then I had a huge change and and gave up a whole bunch of control issues. And I actually, with a therapist, dealt with some of the stuff that occurred when I was younger, and I was able to give up a lot of control issues. You know, I'm I'm got about thirty one years, and and I go to a meeting every day. Okay. And I also attend the uh, the advanced AA meetings, which is Al-Anon. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <good. laughs> yeah. Right. When you said control, I, my ears perked up for Al-Anon. Yeah. Right. Oh. And 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 it's really great because you just get humble in those. You know, you can't say you're an alcoholic and brag about all this crap. What you do is you sit back and listen, and and it's 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 a wonderful program. It's mm-hmm. all of this stuff. You know, I don't know what God is. I I think of my higher power as the creator of me too. whatever it is. Somebody gave me this experience of life, and then they gave me this other experience of 
getting a spiritual understanding um, and being able to recognize that if I pray in the morning and I try not to crap on anybody during the day and, and, and practice unconditional love, that it works so much better than the old method of me first. Yeah. You know, somehow it came into my mind. I'm, you were talking about having surgery and, mm -hmm. and the drugs. And mm -hmm. uh, so if you want to hear about that, I can tell you about that. Sure. Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you about an experience. Oh, I wait, got, here, let, let me uh, twist your arm. Okay, twist my arm. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. Not, it was too hard, I think it's it? broken. <laughs> no, um, it's, I was, about 20 years ago, I was hit on riding a bicycle. I used to ride a bicycle a lot. And this is in sobriety. Yes. And I got hit by a truck going 50 miles an hour and shot through the air. And most people would have died from this, but... Wow. But I didn't, and I woke up about 35 minutes later strapped to the backboard, and they took me in the hospital, and there was a bunch of skin gone on one of my legs where the headlight had broken, I think, and scraped off the skin, and, and they had to scrub this, and so they gave me 13 milligrams of morphine. Well, you know, I fell in love with the IB, IV pole, and I fell in love with the curtains, and I fell in love with the nurse. <laughs> I fell in love with every damn thing in the whole ER. <laughs> And, but that was about one o'clock, one thirty in the afternoon. And, and, but at about six or seven o'clock in the afternoon, I had what I call a spiritual experience. And it was like, almost like a voice saying, you can, the pain will resolve in a day or two or three. But if you keep taking the drugs, that's not a good place to go. So I stopped all the narcotics. I told them I didn't want any more narcotics. And there was a little bit of pain because I was just black and blue on my left side and mm -hmm. a few things broken. Now, how long was that after the well, it was about, incident? Well, it was about six, seven hours after the incident and six, about five, six hours after 30 milligrams of morphine, which... So you went off of the I went off of all the drugs. Six hours. Yeah, but then that evening, the whole night, my experience, and that's all I can say is, that somebody was in the room with me. Interesting. But there was no human being in the room. <laughs> but my experience was that somebody was in the room and I was being cared for. Mm. And human, there wasn't anybody I could see. Mm -hmm. But it was a profound experience. And it's... Um, nobody can take it away from Nobody can take happened. it away. That's exactly right. And... I've, and, ha I've had that a spiritual experience yeah. like that where I, there was someone in the room with me. And and there, I don't ever just, tell anybody about it. Well, and and you can't only somebody who's been through it can understand it. But it's one of these things that it, it connects you to some kind of experience of higher power. And I always say that you know God isn't a concept; God is an experience. Ooh, I like and, that. Well, what it did, it relieved me of all the garbage ideas from childhood. It's just different than what I grew up thinking. What, I mean, yes. every, I guess yes. humans have tried to explain it from the beginning. So there's lots of different stories and different ways to explain it. But I, once you have a couple of experiences like that, I mean, that, there's something going on that's more than just going to the 7-Eleven and <laughs> fixing supper and getting angry and 
and being happy. But there's but more going on. It required two things for me to get to that place where I could have my own experience that I can now draw on today and continue to operate from. And it took me being driven by alcohol, being driven to my knees by alcoholism, and then trusting you people in the rooms when you said that this works. And when you talked about your experiences, I trusted you enough for me to do the work that we do in these rooms. And then I wound up having my own experiences from which I have my own proof. I have what I need. Mm-hmm. But it took those two things to happen. Yeah. What gave you the ability to trust people inside of AA? It was that or die. It's desperation. It, yeah, desperation. It was, I mean, for me, it, it was the, the, the last time that I drank, not the last time, the second to the last time I drank um, ended in me attempting suicide. Because all of the yets that were coming were just terrifying. All the things that were that I was going to lose because I couldn't stop drinking were terrifying. There's a, a poem that I like a lot. I'm gonna quote Kabir, who was 14th century. I might not I'm gonna have to look this up. But the line in his poem that I really identified with when I read was when the guest he's talking in the poem a lot about the guests. So he's talking about God. When the guest is being sought for, it's the intensity of longing for the guest that does all the work. The desperation is what makes it possible, I think. And that was the case with me. I was so desperate at the point that I decided to ask God for help because I I was going to drink and I didn't want to drink. And everybody in AA was talking about praying, so I decided to try it. And I and something happened. But it was the desperation that made me willing to really give up and ask. Not I mean at, when I did it, it wasn't it wasn't I wasn't acting as if at that point. At that moment, it was like, I need help. I think that uh, one, one result of praying is it's, it's an admission out loud to me that I'm not in charge. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's an act of saying, I'm, this is out of my control. I can't handle this. And, and when I pray in the morning, I mean, it's literally, dear God, relieve me of the bondage of self. Absolutely. Help me to do what you want me to do because I no longer have a need to understand or to know why. I just want to go along and try and do. And, you know, prayers like that, I don't know who I'm talking to. I'm, maybe, maybe, it's all, maybe nobody can hear it. But it makes no difference. It works. Bingo. And that's the experience yeah, that's is it. that it works. Yes. And, you know, people talk about the existence of God or not. It, it makes no difference. God doesn't care. You know, this 13.8 billion years of, of the existence of the universe, and God's bigger than that. As soon as you define God, you've lost it. Exactly. I think yeah. that it's... And I say that God talks to me in the, in the rooms. Me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's people. You brought up this word of trust, and I 
don't trust people. I trust that this higher power, God, which I, the God is the word I use, is going to provide me with the tools to get through whatever happens. And I want to just expand on that a little bit because I had, uh, <laughs> I described it earlier as a, uh, today as a, and my childhood was an emotional nightmare. It isn't important what physically occurred. It was an emotional nightmare, and, and every therapist would say, oh, you're a victim of blah, blah, Well, I've decided that I've never been a victim of anything. What, I ha- what the situation from a different perspective is, I simply lacked the tools to deal with the reality of what was happening. Mm. Well, that means that today I have the tools and so I can deal with whatever's going on, and I can deal with what happens in my life, and I don't. I no longer have to have the label of victim because there's no. You can't do a damn thing about being a victim, but you can do a lot about it if you have a set of tools. You can, you can live in today, and and what happened in the past is simply the path you took. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the steps are the tools. The, the steps, steps are a way to deal with the world. And to deal with things. And certainly not the only tools. Right. But they're a damn good set. Yeah. yeah. It's the interaction with other human beings where you find out which ones work. And yeah. they all do. But Tommy, can you give us an example of some place where you had learned? One of the, we're talking about the tools of AA, like one of the steps or one of the concepts, and you applied it and you went, oh, this really does work. Well, yeah, I'll give you an example of, of uh, my arrogance <laughs> and how it got me into a... Mm-hmm. I'm just a very arrogant person. And so I thought that I knew what I was doing. And many years ago, I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to take some money and take it out of the stock market and buy some real estate. And I bought a commercial warehouse. And it was a substantial amount of money. And... and I bought it and it had a five-year lease. Somebody had a five-year lease on it, and it was a super good lease, 9% double, triple net or something. It's, and after one year, the person said, well, I can't, I've got to, I can't keep up the lease. And so that was my first recognition. And then I learned you can't sue people because they have every all their assets hidden and blah, 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 blah. So then I, I ended up leasing this thing to, and, and I'll just say an organization that, that created problems in the neighborhood, and then the neighborhood came in, and it ended up with a huge zoning thing. And and then I was told, well, you get zoning problems fixed by going to this organization, and I just want to be nonspecific here. Mm-hmm. Well, this organization to solve the zoning problems charged over a period of a few years $25,000, which I paid out of my pocket, and at the end of about three and a half years, nothing had been done. Mm. Well, you know, this is called a resentment. Mm, <laughs> yeah. I bet. Now, the tools of the program said to me, you know, if you hadn't been so damned arrogant at the beginning, thinking you knew more than, you know, buying real estate and thinking you knew all about this crap, you wouldn't have been in this fix. Mm. And what I say is this. I fell off the porch, and I thought I could run with the big dogs, and they ate me alive. 
But it's, it's about recognizing, it's about looking for my part because I think that's, for me, that's a big solution is when I get screwed over, I have to find out what my part is in it. And then by changing my attitude. And I, I really, I, even though, you know, it cost me a substantial piece of change, I, I think that I've just, it isn't big enough deal to get excited about. I mean, because uh, it just, yeah, I get a choice today. Do I want to be involved in the program or I don't I want to be involved in my self-centered, selfish, fear-driven self? You know, 100 forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, mm-hmm. and then self-pity. So I'm sticking with the self-pity. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but it really is that thing of, I, I love there that one of the clubhouses, uh, someone had put up a banner at one point that was simply, how important is it? It's always a good question. It is. And it's one of those things of, I, I just, I like the serenity today. Now I can still get all screwed up over something, but I can let it go a hell of a lot faster than I used to. I used to not let go at all. So yeah. Fight, fight everything. Well, you know, the idea of letting go, I can look back and, and I have all these things that I can get all sorts of filled with shame and guilt about. And I, call it going down the rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what this disease is all about, is trying to suck me down the rabbit hole and where I feel bad enough to where I think somehow that a drink will fix it. Today, I don't think a drink will fix anything, but it'd destroy my life is what it would do. Yeah, And as the book says, I recoil from it like a hot flame. Uh, I have a question. How do you tell the difference? So you look. You said looking at your part enabled you to let go of the resentment. Well, how does that help you when these people have are doing all this stuff to you? Well, because blaming somebody else, I found I do that most of my life. But if I can accept my own part in it. And look at, well, I did this because it was greed. I wanted more, Mm self-seeking. Then I can say, okay, had I not had that particular characteristic, had I not had that character deficit or shortcoming and acted on it, I wouldn't be in the fix. And there are a lot of people in this world that are crooks. And the big book says, look, come on, them as sick people. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. I don't know whether it's sick people or not. But... It's a matter, I get a choice today. I can either let go of it and recognize it was my fault to begin with, or I can hang on to resentment, and I don't like that. It doesn't feel good. No, it doesn't feel good. You know, it's people say resentment is like taking poison and expecting the other person yeah. to die. Yeah. And, you know, I tell you, don't. it doesn't work. They don't die. No, they don't <laughs> die. Hell, they don't even know I've taken the poison. Yeah, really. <laughs> Truly that. <laughs> Damn. It's the most unnatural thing, it seems to me, for a human to look at our part in a situation and own it. You are absolutely correct. And psychological insight is extremely difficult for somebody to gain. But, you know, all of these programs, every step in the program is about looking at yourself and seeing where, where do I fit in here? And that's why it's so important, I think, to sit down with the sponsor and work these steps over and over and over and over and over. 
Uh, I have to tell you one thing. When I was early in AA, uh, you know, a few meetings, I thought, why do these people keep reading these steps over and over? I can memorize these damn things and have it done with. And and I look back and laugh because my way of seeing things then was I knew what I was doing and you didn't. And now I say, you know, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what I'm doing. I need to listen to you people. We got to keep listening to those steps because you don't do it once. I did. And it once. I did it once. And it proved to be problematic. <laughs> I so I mean quick quick recap my I, my last drink was in 2003 I got a sponsor I worked the steps I got the results of working the steps and then I got a new sponsor in in four years or so and did not work the steps and I got another sponsor and did not work the steps and got another sponsor and did not work the steps and bad ideas sounded good and diet pills and poppers became a good idea and then I wound up uh, getting honest again and resetting my sobriety date in 2012. And since then, I have worked the steps with every single sponsor. Here's why I have to work the steps. Uh, and, and this was like six months ago. I'm talking to my sponsor and grand sponsor. Total of 88 years of sobriety, which cool. is not too bad, I guess. Not too shabby. And I said, you know, I'm thinking of doing this. And one of them said, oh, I don't think I'd do that. And the other one said, you're not going to do that. My first thought was, what the hell do you know? <laughs> right. And, and so did you do it? Two and a half hours later, I'm thinking to myself, what the hell was I thinking about? <laughs> but this is why I participate in this, because my thinking, you know, uh, there's a comedian that says what we have is first thought wrong disease. Yes! And, yes! And, and that applies to me. You know, I have... You know, there are a lot of people when I'm driving that, in my opinion, they're they're committing a, a capital offense. You know, and, and their existence really needs to end. Yeah, that's right. But fortunate, you want to hear a story? Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a story. I used to pull a a trailer when I was in my travels, and some guy came shooting down the interstate on the entrance ramp and had to put his brakes on. Didn't like it that I didn't move over, I guess. I don't know. He came around in front of me, and he brake-checked me. Well, I'm thinking, oh, God, because trailers and trucks don't stop for Yeah. So uh, he pulled me down to about 35 miles an hour, and then he sped up, and then we're going along about 65. He does it a second time. Now, this is at the moment that I think, you know, I need to learn how to fire this Glock 19 with the laser sights <laughs> left-handed so I can put it out on the mirror and just blow his head off, you know. <laughs> and I held on to that one for about five minutes. Okay, now, but it's things improved. And then I thought, well, you know, if I do that, he might hit go. His car will hit somebody, and it would have bad, you know, some innocent person. That was another five that minutes. That would be a shame. Well, then I then I thought, and you know. Somebody would probably see me and I'd get caught. So I had five more minutes of that thinking. <laughs> then finally I got to the point of recovery where I thought to myself, he has far more problems than I do. 
and I'm grateful to be alive. There you go. <laughs> I love that story. I love that. And the progression through it, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, that's the way it works. Oh, yeah. That is. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've, I've heard the, the thing about, you know, if, if you're thinking about taking a drink, play the tape through rather than just operating off of that impulse. I've never heard it about playing the tape through if you're thinking about killing someone. <laughs> no. Well, it, it works. Fits. Yeah, it works. <laughs> Tommy, thanks for being here. We're gonna. I see you're wearing a cap. Oh, you. So Oklahoma. <laughs> My well, grandson. The, the cap may protect you from its talons, but still, watch out. <laughs> it's swooping. <laughs> that owl, I tell you. It's time for our old timers question. Who you calling an old timer? Tommy. That's right. <laughs> you that's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die it's still one day at a time no matter how long you've been sober sunny sunny i'm gonna learn that song sunny i need to let's break how that i into love song. you how i love you no Bye. that's mammy oh yeah that's mammy okay sunny is just a sunny, sunny. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I got to learn that one. Okay. You can post a question for us on boiledowlaa.org. We have a question, and it's not what you thought. Oh, okay. Because, you know, I'm a tricky one like that. The question is from Britta. You, you don't give me an opportunity to think about it. That's the whole idea, you know? <laughs> Britta in Lansing, Michigan asks... Uh, do you have a go-to snack or beverage for when you're craving alcohol? I know some people say sweets of some kind. I love this podcast, by the way. Thanks, Bretta. We appreciate you writing. Thanks, Bretta. Sure. When I first got sober, it was when now now I don't crave alcohol at all. But I sure did at first. I liked the idea of having sweets. Well, yeah. <laughs> So I went with it, but what happened with me was I I sw- started drinking club soda. I was a beer drinker. It's sparkly like beer, and it has no calories, and it just, just worked for me. I drank it a lot. Now, I had a sponsee come over, and I said, would you like club soda? And I poured a glass, and he was like turning white. I was going, "What? what's the matter? And he was going, that's... What I used to drink, gin and tonics. I can't have that. He could not have club soda because it was so similar to the way he drank. And that wasn't the case with me. It was interesting. So, I mean, you have to be, it's different for every person. What's going to work? You know, milkshakes, coffee. And also, I drank a lot of coffee. You still drink a lot of coffee. A lot of coffee. So does Tommy. (laughs) I like a lot of coffee, like a pot of coffee, like a lot of coffee, like a pot of hot coffee, like a lot of coffee, like a pot of coffee, like a lot of hot coffee. (laughs) You just never know what's going to happen here. This is only my fifth cup. In the, uh, how long we've been here? Today. You said you like 15 cups in one. Well, not really. (laughs) Well, you know, my wife, when I first got sober, she said, you're drinking a lot of coffee. I think you're drinking too much coffee. This is bad for your health. And I was going, nope, nope, nope. I'm drinking coffee. You know, I've given up everything. That's the way I felt. I've given up everything now. The only thing I have is coffee. Such a martyr. <laughs> Absolutely. But I, 
continued to drink coffee, and I still do, and everybody in that, you know, you go to an AA meeting, you see everyone's got the largest containers of beverages. So, But a lot of times it's not coffee. It's not, well, it's a lot of different things. I mean, one of my favorites is my not vodka water bottle. <laughs> Big old water bottle says not vodka on it. It's very controversial. I like being controversial. Well, I'm a soda fan. Soda yeah. water. Yeah, ah, there Tons of it. What would you say, Tommy? To this question? Yeah. To this question. Yeah. Well, I was driving into Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where I was raised and where I drank a little. And um, as best you can remember, I drank in every square foot in the whole damn city, as far as I know. But I was driving in there, having come down from Canada, and, and there was one of these ads on the billboards, and and my thought was, gosh, I sure could get drunk right now. That would be good. And then immediately I thought to myself, well, you know, maybe that's not a very good idea. But I had a plan is that I knew where I was going and I was going to a meeting and Mm -hmm. once I got my RV settled in and everything. And so I think that I'll be triggered by things sometimes. So maybe I suppose once a month I'll get triggered by some particular ad or something or I'll say, oh, gosh, I didn't get to try that. Oh, yeah. But one of the things I know is that it doesn't work. It isn't going to get me anything I want. Mm-hmm. It's just a flash, and it's a biochemical flash in my head. And I go to lots of meetings because this is where I keep getting the message that, you know, this doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And as far as any kind of um, food or something, well, I mean, I could probably eat chocolate forever, but that's... <laughs> That's okay. I'm, I have a denial problem there too, I think. But <laughs> but it's certainly eating chocolate is a whole lot better than drinking yeah. alcohol. And and if it works, it works. Um, well, that really works at the beginning. I mean, you can't, you know, I can't eat ice cream all day, every day. Oh, well, I'll yeah. I'll get larger and larger and larger. <laughs> yes, right. So I, yeah. ultimately True. I have to start... Yeah. Watching it, but at the beginning, go ahead. Oh, sure. I think yeah. early in sobriety, do I think doing almost anything besides drinking is appropriate, whether it's eating, overeating, or whatever. I thought you were going to say the substitute is well, to go to meetings. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. Because that's really where the relief is. Yeah, and 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 you know. Uh, so bad cookies and bad coffee. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> cookies and coffee. You know. I have to remember, I've got some chronic condition in my brain, and I have to constantly be going to the source of the, of, of the answer, and that's the meetings. Built-in like forgetter. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I go to a lot of meetings because it just works a whole lot better than not. Yeah, it keeps and it fresh. It does, and, and I, you know, I heard somebody with 53 years sobriety say they were up to their neck in AA, and I figure if it works for that person with 53 years, it will work for me. There you yeah, go. That's good. Yeah. What about you, Sam? You know, I um, I remember, I think it might be in the Living Sober book, uh, the the yellow book that uh, is that, also published by World Services. That's such a good book for early uh, for, for You know, for that first week of recovery yeah, in right. particular, it's got some practical stuff in there. And one Living of those sober. things, I think, is, uh, is, is you know, carry some candy with you. And the, the idea behind it, from my understanding, was that, you know, you've been consuming a lot of alcohol. 
um, and your body is used to it, and it's got a physical craving for that sugar because it does process a sugar. So having candy on hand and eating some candy is useful to do. But, you know, one of the things that uh, to build off of what you were saying, Tommy, about, you know, uh, do what you got to do, in, particularly in the very beginning, not to drink. You know, we quit things in the order in which they will kill us. <laughs> and if that means that uh, I'm also going to add a few things, like I'm going to overeat for a while mm-hmm. when I come into these rooms, I'm, I'm not going to eat healthily or whatever, um, then so be it. Um, it's something that I can address down the road. I don't need to deal with that right now. Right now, I've got this monkey on my back called alcohol, and so I need to be able to focus on letting go of that, of stopping drinking. And thank God we really only have to do that once. Never have You never have to drink again, which means that you never have to go through early recovery again. But a lot of us do drink again, and yeah. so we do go through that. It's a, it's a tough time. Early, that, those, those, that first week, that first week, maybe two weeks, oh. is tough. It's <laughs> awful. Uh, and as far as beverages and stuff, I still... So we were just at a, uh, a client's um, holiday party. They do theirs in, in the fall instead of at the uh, winter holiday time. Uh, and, uh, and so we were there on Friday night and uh, lots of drinking going on. And one of the things that I have picked up at parties, and I think it's probably just part of this like fitting in thing as well um, at a party, is I drink um, sparkling water. Just like you were saying, club soda. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were drinking, uh, I don't remember what it was, but, but one of the sparkling waters and, and lime. And yeah, that's the drink that I'm holding. Everybody else is holding a drink. Yeah. I am very mindful of which one is mine. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't have a go-to beverage. Um, but when I am around other people drinking, which I don't recommend in early sobriety either. Yeah, yeah. but you can go anywhere after. after yeah, that. I go to the most sorted places on earth. You yeah. know that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, thanks for coming today. It was my pleasure. It's been a pleasure having you. I'm glad to get to know you some. Are you done? Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. to 90 meetings in 90 days. Who has the time? Don't these people in recovery know how important you are? You need Sponsor Schmonser's Speed Recovery System. At the Sponsor Schmonser Company, we know how valuable your time is. Order our new product, Speed Recovery. 90 meetings in 90 minutes. That's right. 90 meetings in only 90 minutes. You receive our cassette tape of 90 speaker meetings. That's 
90 old timers all talking at once. 90 hours of wisdom compacted into only 90 minutes. Unbelievable. Listen to this sample. Incredible! The recovery just pours into your brain. 90 topics on every subject, all at the same time. Don't have 90 minutes? Just increase the playback speed to increase the recovery. Don't miss the miracle just because of your busy schedule. Order Sponsor Schmonsers Speed Recovery System today. 90 meetings in 90 minutes, only 90 bucks. Sponsor Schmonser and all its products are not approved by Alcoholics Anonymous, and since they are not real, they probably will not work.